0: We want to remind our listeners that this program is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional veterinary medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Animal Medical Center does not recommend or endorse any products or services advertised by SiriusXM. XM. Welcome to Ask the Vet with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. This is the place to talk about your pets and get advice from a top veterinarian from the Animal Medical Center in NYC. Hear from the leading authorities on animals and give us a call to ask your questions. Now, here's your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus.
1: Hi everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today here on Ask the Vet on Sirius Stars Channel 109. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. I'm a board certified internist and oncologist here at the Animal Medical Center, where I'm broadcasting from today. AMC is the largest not for profit animal hospital in the world. For my list, new listeners, don't forget that Ask the Vet is also available as a podcast developed in partnership with Sirius XM. The Assovet podcast is carried on all major podcast platforms and can also be found on the Animal Medical Center's website. Just go to amcny.org and put podcast in the search bar. At the Animal Medical Center, we keep families together by providing the absolute best care for pets. Let me tell you a little bit about what last year was like at AMC. We saw 53,000 patient visits, and that divides up to about 39,000 dogs and 12,000 cats, and about 3,000 not dog, not cat, which might be a turtle or a rabbit or a guinea pig or a bird or a hamster. AMC's emergency and critical care department is the busiest department in the hospital, and they saw 17,000 of those 53,000 visits. Last year, AMC's staff published 33 research studies, and the USAN Institute for Animal Health Education presented 17 different pet health events, 15 of which were virtual. And in those 17 events, nearly 1,200 pet owners attended. And stay tuned because there's more stuff coming up, and I'll tell you how to register later on in the show. Mm -hmm. 700 different pet owners received pet loss support through our AMC Pet Loss Group. We also took care of 171 seeing-eye dogs for free. 136 pets of senior citizens received subsidized care. 90 animals from different rescue groups received free care so they could get a forever home. And 121 pets of owners with financial need received donated care, all thanks to AMC's charitable funds. Charitable care lies at the heart of our mission, which is to protect and strengthen the profound connection between people and pets. So last year, all that charitable care equaled $4.8 million through our charity programs, which includes 12 funds for pets in need, and also care for other not-for-profit organizations, animals such as the ASVCA, North Shore Animal League, and discounts to first responder animals as well. A complete listing of AMC's charitable funds can be found on our website. Just put community funds in the search bar at amcny.org. Now, if you have a pet health question, just call our toll-free number and leave a message. Next month, I'll answer your pet health questions here on Ask the Vet. That number, to call and leave a message is 866-993-8267. And if you don't have a pencil right now, I'll give that number again later on in the show. So when we take a break, get your writing implement and a piece of paper. And now it's time for our trending animal story
0: of the month. It's time for the internet's most talked about animal.
1: This incredible story comes to us from across the pond in Cornwall, England. An 83-year-old woman who had fallen down into a 70-foot ravine was saved, not by her dog, but by her cat. Her cat's persistent meowing alerted rescue workers to the woman's whereabouts. Initial reports said that she was missing, so a police search was underway, and dozens of volunteers combed through the fields looking for this little lady, and one of the neighbors spotted the lady's cat at the top corner of her property. As the neighbor got closer, she heard the cat named Pyron crying and meowing, crying and meowing, and the cat wouldn't move. It wouldn't stop crying. And his meows became more persistent as the the rescue workers got closer to the cat. After searching through the area, they discovered the woman who'd fallen down a 70-foot embankment into a ravine. It took a whole lot of first responders to get the woman to safety, and she was airlifted to a hospital. She's still recovering, but is expected to make a full recovery and is in good spirits. And according to the Bodmin Police Department, Pyron the cat saved the day. And a lot of us think about cats as cool, aloof, and independent. But a 2019 study confirms Pyron's behavior. That study reported that cats find their owners as a source of comfort and security and actually form attachments to their humans that are equal to dogs. So I'd say these findings Um, debunk the myths that cats are totally independent and elusive, and certainly they have their eye out to make sure that their owner is being cared for or someone realizes their owner is having an emergency. So hats off to Pyron the cat for saving the day and his 83-year-old owner. I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, my colleague and fellow Cornelian, Dr. Zolo. Dr. Zolo is a staff doctor in AMC's very busy emergency and critical care service here at AMC. And she obtained her undergraduate degree from Williams College and her degree in veterinary medicine from Cornell. Following graduation, she completed both an internship and an emergency critical care residency here at the Animal Medical Center. And from my Zoom screen, she's on some other floor of the hospital uh, because we're still kind of social distancing and wearing masks around here um she she completed her residency or her certification in emergency critical care in 2017 and has remained here ever since she resides in manhattan with her husband and her two cats izzy and lola um so glad that you're here dr zolo do you think that izzy and lola would save you if you fell down a ravine
2: Yes. First of all, I want to say thank you for having me. And I would like to say I certainly hope they would. Hopefully <laughs> we'll never have to test it out, but I hope they would. But sometimes I think I might be more attached to them than they are to me, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I am I think uh, Pyron was uh,
1: an exceptional cat is what I'm yeah. thinking. <laughs> um, my cats, uh, well, the kittens I have right now, they're sleeping until they hear that pop-top can open and then then they arouse themselves but they're just sleeping and eating right now Mm -hmm. Uh, so this show is airing in the month of september and september is disaster preparedness month so we thought it would be a good platform to talk about how to know if your pet's having an emergency because pet owners should be prepared for the disaster that a pet emergency in the family can cause Um, so talk about what kind of emergency or what what happens to a pet when it should go to the emergency room? what What's it doing? What does it look like?
2: Sure. So there's lots of different reasons a pet should come to the emergency room. And I would say in general, it's better for owners to be safe than sorry, because we're trained to be able to tell you whether or not your pet is okay and how much care they need. So obviously there are things that you can notice readily, like if your pet uh, is having trouble breathing or if they're bleeding uncontrollably. But there are other things as well. Like if your pet can't interact with you like they normally do, if they seem very dull are collapsed, severely weak, having profuse vomiting, and active seizure, if they're straining to urinate without being able to to produce any urine, all of those things would indicate that a pet should head into the emergency room.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that people are always worried. My clients are worried, oh, I don't want to come to the emergency room. But for me, you and I have complete, we may have gone to the same school, but we now have yeah. completely different <laughs> skill sets. And, right. and so I, when something is really emergent, I, I can recognize it, But but I'm no longer well-versed in what to do. And so I think that if, If you're a specialist veterinarian like me or your general veterinarian says you should go to the emergency room, they're not trying to slough you off. We're trying to make sure that you see someone who can best handle what's going on with your pet. And emergencies are not me. I am not. I don't think very fast. So I need someone else to handle emergency cases. So how can we how can. What can I say to people that would allay that fear of I don't want to go to the emergency room?
2: I think you can say to people that the emergency room is a place full of doctors who respect the relationship that that people have with their primary care veterinarian, whether it be a specialist or a general practitioner. And we're there to make sure your pet's okay. We will always talk to you about what abnormalities we find on physical exam. We will, you know, give you options for what tests you can or cannot perform. And since we all value that relationship, we will tell you when we think it's okay to treat in the emergency room, but then follow up with your vet for additional care. Um, You know, and, and we're very respectful of people's wishes and people shouldn't be afraid to say to us, you know, this is what I have to work with, whether it be financially or emotionally, this is how far I can go, because we're used to that. And we're used to having to tailor a plan to the specific client and pet. So they shouldn't be afraid to tell us that and be honest with us regarding what their needs are.
1: Yeah, yeah. And those are the people needs involved in the ER, which are different from what the animal needs are in the ER. So I think that that that's a, a good way to think about it is that you guys take care of both the person and the pet that comes with, with that person. So I'm really proud. Um, AMC is one of the only accredited veterinary uh, level one trauma centers, I think in all of New York State and all of Connecticut, right? Yeah, that's It's a that's big correct. swath of of country where we're the only uh, level one trauma center. So can you talk a little bit about what a level trauma one center is and then what kinds of patients we're best equipped to handle?
2: Sure, absolutely. So when we're talking about um, major hospitals like the Animal Medical Center that have an emergency room, there's two different designations that you look at. There's a VEX uh, certification um, where they basically say that you have to be equipped to treat most small animal emergencies and we're a level one for that. But there's also something called the VETCOT trauma certification where you could be a level one, two, or three. And we're also a level one trauma center. And that's a much, much harder designation to achieve. And like you mentioned, as far as I know we're the only hospital in this part of New York, Connecticut and then there's only one in New Jersey. So there's not many of us in in this area or really all over the country. And by definition a level 1 veterinary trauma center has to have the ability to provide the total care for every aspect of the management of small animal trauma from the emergency stabilization when they walk through the door through definitive medical and surgical treatment and then eventual rehabilitation. So you have to have specific specialties available seven days a week, like anesthesia, um, emergency critical care, uh, surgery, radiology, and you have to be able to have all the tools necessary to treat the patient when it walks through the door and be able to send it home at the end of its hospitalization. So we're really, really proud that we've achieved this specific designation. And, it, and
1: it's, it- it's total comprehensive care that means we don't need to send this this trauma patient somewhere else to have its leg put back together or its a back fixed or whatever needs to happen we have all those all those pieces here that that's really correct. good for pets
2: yeah Yes. Yeah, We can do everything right in the emergency room. We have a CT machine, an MRI. We have all the surgeons we need, blood products, everything that you would ever need to treat a trauma patient we have available here.
1: So talk about some of the trauma. What kind of trauma things do, do we commonly see here in New York City? And is it different than what you might see somewhere else in the country?
2: Sure, I I do think there are certain differences. Um, In New York City in particular, we see a lot of what's called high rise syndrome. And that is when a cat falls out of a window, usually from several stories up. Um, It can be anywhere from the second story. I think the cat that I've seen survive from the uh, the highest fall was probably around 27 stories. So they can really be quite impressive. Um, that is something that you see more in the city, especially when it starts getting warmer in buildings where people can't necessarily control the temperature, they start opening their windows, and that tends to be the time of year when we see cats falling out of buildings. Um, in in the city, we also see pets who've been hit by cars. That tends to be more of a dog problem um, compared to a cat problem, since most of our cats in the city tend to be indoor cats. Um, but what's a little bit different in the city compared to rural areas is we definitely see a lot more hit by bikes in New York City um, compared to other parts of the country I'm sure Um, but usually when we're talking about trauma in the city it's a a blunt trauma in terms of being hit by a car or falling from heights we occasionally will see penetrating traumas like stab wounds or or, you know um, gunshot wounds but those tend to be much less common and we do also care for the many of the working dogs in New York City so we occasionally have them come in with injuries from from work as well.
1: I I think the injury that I think is really unique, it's not terribly common, but it'll be on the admission list, is toe-caught in escalator or toe-caught in elevator door. Um, those, those are very unique to our urban environment, I think.
2: Yes, I, I would have to agree with that. Um, dogs don't belong on escalators, a little PSA for everybody. They don't know how to use them. Uh, we actually had a dog come in one night that uh, the the people who worked at the place with the escalator actually dismantled the whole escalator and the dog came in with a big piece of it still attached to his toe so it's it's something that we actually do see and that's a good one that you bring up that's not common to many parts of the country i'm sure but in general dogs shouldn't be on escalators because they can get toe fractures yeah
1: it, the other yeah, so.
2: thing that I
1: think owners do it, and they do it in the building I live in, it makes me crazy is the dog the elevator doors are open and the dog runs for the elevator with its leash behind it. And if that elevator door closes before that leash is all the way in the elevator, the dog can get strangulated as that elevator moves. So dogs should never ride the elevator by themselves or and never enter that elevator unaccompanied because
2: they they it can be terrible um, when that happens I Um, absolutely agree with that we've seen dogs come in with all sorts of lung injuries from being strangled in the elevator so we generally recommend keeping a very short leash when you're walking with your dog towards the elevator and keeping them right next to you for sure
1: Uh, I had clients that emailed one night their cat was lost. And I'm like, you live like on the 12th floor. Where did your cat go? Are the windows closed? Because I was thinking high rise. Turns out they had workmen in the apartment in the day and the cat got in the service elevator and spent the whole day riding on the service elevator. Um, and then finally, like somebody was taking the trash out at night and I found the cat on the service elevator. But I, I think that that brings up a good point. If you have workmen in your house, in your apartment or wherever, be sure the animal is safely put away because you never know when they're going to slip out of the yard, go over, you know, out the fence door because someone didn't lock it. And, and so I think workmen, um, you, you probably have animals who get hit. Because they've escaped because somebody left the gate, the door, whatever open. Um, and yes,
2: yep, absolutely.
1: And, and so Couldn't agree a, more. That's a really important thing, I think, no matter where you live, doesn't matter if because there's doors everywhere. Yeah. Um, what about medical emergencies? So we've talked about like traumatic injuries, but what kinds of medical emergencies does our ER handle?
2: So our ER sees basically any medical emergency that you can think of, just like a human ER. Um, It could be things like vomiting and diarrhea, um, urinary tract infections, liver disease, neurologic problems, um, basically anything that you can think of, we see.
1: And what could owners do to
2: prevent that kind of trip to the ER? So I think in general, um, regular wellness care is very important. You know, once your pet gets to that geriatric age as determined by your regular veterinarian based on their breed and their size and species, you really should be having blood work done every every year at a minimum, potentially every six months to try to catch things early before it gets to the point that you need to go to the emergency room. Other things like, you know, you shouldn't be feeding your dog's table scraps um, or ha- letting them have access to the garbage or things like that, because those are very common culprits for causing vomiting and diarrhea in, in new pets. Just general basic things like that go a long way. Um, So talking about eating things, I know
1: because every morning at around five, a a list goes out of what pets have been admitted to the animal medical center overnight. And there's a little brief summary of what's wrong with the pet. And we see pets that eat a lot of stuff that they shouldn't. Um, So what what things do you guys commonly see that the pet shouldn't have eaten so that
2: the owners know what things to be sure are locked up, secured, or put away? Sure. Um, Like Dr. Hohenhaus said, this is a very, very common thing we encounter. I will say in general, dogs tend to be the culprits much more often than cats because cats tend to be a little bit more discriminating with what they'll pick up from the floor. Um, But a really important toxin to know about in cats is lilies, uh, this is a toxin that can actually cause acute renal failure in cats, and a lot of people don't know this, and they end up getting bouquets or flower arrangements, often as gifts, and they have no idea that lilies are actually that toxic to cats, that it, they can be fatal. So that's a really, really important one to remember for cats, um, and I, you know, part of me wishes that every florist had that warning for people, but we really just have to increase the knowledge. And, and and it takes not very
1: much lily, like it, that, those lilies have those things. I never took botany, those things that come yeah. out of the flower <laughs> with that kind of brown dusty stuff on it. And that a little bit of that brown dusty stuff on your cat can make them really sick. So um, yeah, it, Easter's a bad time in the ER because there's lilies everywhere. And those beautiful pink ones that smell really nice are Bad news for cats. So no lilies, zero lilies. Yeah. Uh, if you Absolutely. have cats. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But what about the dogs? If dogs, cats, so- <laughs> cats are way more discriminating. But dogs, yeah.
2: So dogs, not so much. Um, and we actually have some dogs that are repeat offenders. But they can eat anything from chocolate. Um, to marijuana, whether it be loose or secondhand smoke and edible, you know, those are becoming very popular right now, especially with marijuana being legalized. Human medications like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like Advil or Aleve, Um, vitamins, vitamin D can be very toxic to dogs, antidepressants, medications for, um, you know, um, like attention deficit disorder, things like that. Rat poison is another big one that's really important. Grapes, dogs definitely should not be eating grapes, sugar-free gum. Um, the list goes on and on and, and dogs really know how to get into anything. It seems at times. And and you should
1: never, ever get your dog to come by like shaking their pill bottle, you know, because they'll come for the shaking pill bottle and then they say, Ooh, that, that's really a good deal. I think I'll chew it open and eat all the pills because I liked them. And so don't encourage your pet to become obsessed with medication bottles, and even if you put your medication bottle up high, if you have a cat, they'll tag team it, and the cat will mm, bam 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 crash, and the bottle will fall on the floor, and then the dog will rush in, open it, chew it open, and eat all the pills. So, if you have cats, something high doesn't necessarily make it safe for the dog because the cat cat probably won't eat the pills, but it'll for sure knock the pill bottle off, and then the dog yeah. will be sick. Um, yeah. So. It, it's it's terrible. Um, yeah. Last week's blog, I, I wrote about um, earbuds. We've had a lot of ear um, yeah. earbuds being eaten by dogs and some dog owners who figured out their dog ate the earbuds because their phone would connect with the earbud when they got too close to the dog. So those are another new popular um, uh, foreign body that we didn't have five years ago because everybody didn't have earbuds sitting around. So. Why? Why dogs would eat those? I mean, they're just plastic, you know. But their dogs are crazy sometimes.
2: Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. And and just a plug too for ASPCA Poison Control. Ah, um, good it, one. If people uh, notice a dog or cat getting into something, whether it's a plant that's in the home or a medication, a vitamin, anything like that, ASPCA Poison Control has a uh, a number online that you can call and get a consultation with um, with a. Uh, the toxicology team so you can know whether or not you have to bring your pet into the emergency room. So that's a very helpful resource for people.
1: Well, I think it's not only a resource for the pet owner, but once you call ASPCA, the veterinarian taking care of your cat or dog who ate what it shouldn't have um, can call ASPCA and get additional advice or tell them exactly the name of the drug because you couldn't remember it or didn't know it or couldn't pronounce it. And so Um, that resource, once you start that process, it becomes an ongoing one to help veterinarians like Dr. Zolo in our ER um, take care of pets uh, on an ongoing basis. The people at at ASPCA Poison Control know so much stuff because if we see a case and someone in New Jersey sees a case and someone in Connecticut sees a case, we all think it's a one-time occurrence. But if everybody calls ASPCA, all of a sudden they realize that it's starting to be a problem. And so then they'll put out some sort of alert or something. So all veterinarians benefit from that. So I, I love to hear those people give talks because they always know way before the rest of us do about the latest problem that that our pets are creating uh, in, at home. Um, So one of the things you mentioned was you will see things with neurologic abnormalities. So that's a little more abstract for a lot of pet owners. What, what would be a neurologic abnormality? And then what, how would you know you should go to the ER with that?
2: Sure. So neurologic abnormalities are almost always an emergency that you should come right in for. So it's important to be able to recognize them. Some of them are very obvious. Like if your pet is having a generalized seizure, you can usually tell that. Um, But some of them are much more subtle, but it can be as subtle as your pet maybe doesn't seem to recognize you like they normally do, or they have a decreased level of consciousness, meaning that when you talk to them, they just seem overall depressed. So anything from a depressed mentation, weakness in any of the legs, seizures, tremors, falling, rolling, walking in circles, anything like that is an emergency that pets should be seen for.
1: And and I think that seizures are really scary for most people. And so I I don't think most people leave their pet, you know, don't come right in. But I think one of the most common things that our neurology service does on emergency is um, disc disease in dogs. They, They will come in Whenever your dog comes in on emergency to if if it needs surgery to deal with the disc, right?
2: That's correct. So disc disease is, is prevalent in all dog breeds, but most common um, in our long uh, long backed dogs like Dachshunds, Frenchies, breeds like that. Um, and it can the signs can range for this disease from you know somewhat mild things like a little bit of discomfort when trying to move, not wanting to jump up and down off of the furniture, things like that all the way up to losing the ability to move and or feel your legs and once you get to the point where you can't really support your weight or you can't move your legs or can't feel them that's a true surgical emergency Um, and and in those situations we do do those surgeries 24 hours a day and usually what's the
1: tool we use to make a diagnosis of of disc disease
2: so it's usually based on clinical suspicion because intervertebral disc disease is the most common thing that causes these animals to have these signs in their, usually their hind legs. Um, but to confirm, we do an MRI under general anesthesia. We can't do an MRI on animals without general anesthesia because unlike a human, they certainly won't sit still if you ask them to. Um, so the usual process involves an MRI under general anesthesia and then uh, the neurology team will look at the MRI while it's happening. And once they confirm the diagnosis, then the patients roll right into the OR after after the MRI.
1: Yeah. So it so it's a it's a big deal and, and takes a big team to do these 24-7. But the sooner you get that that disc out of the place where it's not supposed to be, the, the greater the pet has of, of recovering its ability to walk and feel. So that's mm-hmm. that's why your dog is kind of not walking right in the hind or dragging its back legs emergency, because if we get to it soon enough, the vast majority of them get better. And if we don't get to them soon enough, then we don't have a chance to make them better. So that is a really, um, really important uh, neurologic thing. Um, Just, I think clients recognize that a seizure is bad and the pet should come in, but For those who might not have ever seen a seizure before, what what would a dog having a seizure look like?
2: Sure, so if a dog is having what we call a generalized seizure, it could be very similar to the textbook or movie seizure that people think of where the dog falls over onto his side, is paddling, will be foaming at the mouth, teeth chattering. Sometimes they can urinate and defecate. Um, That would be more of like the normal seizure. We do have things called, you know, focal facial seizures or atypical seizures where it can be as subtle as a dog seeming to space out and repeatedly, you know, chewing their mouth or licking their lip or um, having a little facial twitch. So there is a big range. And I will say, obviously, it's very, very scary when your pet has a seizure, especially if it's a big generalized seizure. But it's very, very helpful if they have these more subtle types of, of episodes for owners to actually take out their phone and videotape it, if at all possible, because... Because when you bring your pet into the emergency room, if they're more normal by the time they get there, um, sometimes it can be a little bit hard for us to characterize what happened at home. But if there's a videotape, that's extremely helpful for us.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, I don't think as often about, taking pictures and videos of things that are happening at, that I should, but that that's a really, really important thing that pet owners can do is video the abnormal behavior, video, whatever. Remembering not to be so close that I can see individual hairs on your dog, because that probably doesn't help me, but don't be so far away that your dog is a dot on the horizon. And, and it, it takes a little bit of practice to get, to get those. Um, And then uh, the other advice I would give to people is be sure you're in focus. I cannot decide if you're in the incision is, infected or not if all i see is blur and i i can't determine whether or not the leg is swollen you know if you only give me you got to give me two legs so that i have something to compare it to Um, and and so those are little things that um that make a big difference and i wrote a blog a while ago now using photos that clients sent me to say this not this one do this one so if anyone is interested in how to do better photos to send to your emergency room doctor, you can go to um, amcny.org and then type in "photo" and in the search bar, and that blog will come up with suggestions on how to get better photos of your pet's abnormalities. Um, so we just have a couple minutes left. What can pet owners do so they're prepared for upcoming
2: emergencies? So one of the most important things for pet owners is to know where the closest 24-hour hospital is. It could be right down the block, it could be a little bit further depending on where you live. But the first thing you really should do is know where it's located. Because if your pet is having a major emergency and you're panicking, you, you, know, you may forget even the simplest of things. But if you know where you're going and you have a plan, that's really important. Another thing that's very, very helpful is to keep a copy of your pet's complete medical records. Especially if you're presenting to the emergency room after hours, your regular vet is probably going to be closed and we won't be able to get records until the next day. But if you have a folder with all of your pet's records in there, that's very, very helpful for us. It's also very helpful if you have a list of all of your pet's medications, if they're on any, and that also will help us uh, get a more complete picture of your pet's previous history and help us treat them. And then one thing that's really important, you know, that that can be um, a little bit unexpected in emergencies is, is is the cost. So I would really urge people to either set up some sort of reserve fund to have if their pet has an emergency or even consider pet insurance. Um, and I, I know that the AMC has, uh, you know, some different information on there to help guide people in terms of what they should be thinking about when they are looking at pet insurance um, and, and some different uh, sites that they lead you to to compare different policies. Because I will say as an emergency room that, you know, the bills are sometimes high. And I have seen people with pet insurance be able to treat their pets um, because they have the, the, you know, financial backing of their insurance, which is really, really important.
1: And, and I would say that if you don't have a list of the medications, use that camera on your phone to take pictures of the bottle so somebody can read the label and then see what medication and how often the pet is on and how many milligrams or ounces or whatever dose it's in. And that will really, really help the ER people too, if you can scroll through your phone and show them that information. I would also say if, if your pet goes home from the hospital and there's a discharge paper, Um, that gives discharge instructions and you have to go to the emergency room, it's not the same place that treated your pet, take that discharge paper because that will probably have a lot of good information on it as well. Um, So I just want to take this opportunity to thank doctor Amory Zolo from AMC's emergency and critical care team uh, for being with me today here on Ask the Vet. She's given us great information about emergencies in pets for September, our disaster preparedness month and i hope none of the listeners have a disaster with their pet but if they do now you know what to do and just a reminder you can call us toll free and leave a message to have your pet's questions answered on next month's ask the vet the phone number is 866 993-8267 and when we come back from the break i'll bring you some interesting animal news
0: We're back with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus on Ask the Vet. Call now with your pet questions on Sirius XM Stars.
1: Welcome back to Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. Let's take a look at some animal news headlines.
0: It's time for Animal Headlines, the biggest animal news from across the world.
1: Now, this is an amazing story. Potato. I, I don't know about this name, but maybe maybe this 85 pound giant tortoise looked more like a potato when it got his name. But this 85 pound tortoise named potato was found crawling along Interstate 40 in Little Rock, Arkansas after busting out of her backyard enclosure. But thankfully, all ends well. Turns out this is not the first time the feisty 14-year-old Sulcata tortoise broke free from her home enclosure. It was the third escape. According to her owner, Chelsea Hadaway who rescued Potato when she was nine years old. And in those nine years, Potato never ventured beyond her home enclosure. But over the last month, she somehow managed to get out there, out. Of her enclosure on three separate occasions and each time headed for the highway. The frequency of her adventures even has the Little Rock police on alert when needed. Hopefully, the newly secured backyard gates will keep Potato at home where she belongs. Want to see this cute girl? Just Google Potato the giant tortoise who escaped her backyard enclosure. These Sulcata tor- tortoises are just beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. So you should look at the, look at the um, articles simply just to see how pretty she is. Our second story involves a home security camera in Bristol, Connecticut. And a woman thought that there was somebody, a porch pirate, who was taking her Amazon packages. But when she looked at the video, it was no pirate, it was a black bear. In a video that's gone viral, the four-legged thief saunters off the driveway with a carton in its mouth, and then takes a leisurely stroll through the neighbor's yard. You would think that the bear had found something tasty that was being delivered, but in fact, the box contained lavender scented toilet tissue. Maybe that's why the pair dropped the package off at a nearby home because it wasn't something to eat. This bear's ears Um, have tags in them. You can see them on the video. And that means that the state wildlife officials in Connecticut are tracking him or her. Uh, I don't know whether it's a girl or boy bear. And in 2021, Connecticut has has recorded over 6,000 bear sightings. I I think of Connecticut as being kind of um, bucolic and not dangerous, but 6,000 bear sightings in Connecticut has me a little bit worried. And Maybe I'll be more careful when I go out at night at my friend's house in Connecticut. And finally, we have a story from the Richard O. Jacobson Technical High School in Seminole, Florida. They have a wonderful veterinary assistant program, and I'd like to give the kids in that program a big shout out. This program not only helps students learn skills, and about animals, but it also helps shelter pets from Pinellas County Animal Services get adopted. Every Monday, Pinellas County Animal Services brings several dogs and cats to the Richard O. Jacobson Technical High School. And over the course of the week, the students learn to care for those dogs and cats. They practice um, grooming them, and they learn to restrain animals so that they can be good veterinary assistants when they graduate from high school. The students also work to socialize these animals, giving the dogs and cats a better chance of finding a forever home. Pinellas County Animal Services then uses social media to broaden the reach for adoption for these animals. And so this is a terrific program that benefits both the animals and these great kids in the veterinary assistant program. And if any kids from Pinellas County um, are listening to the show, AMC could always use a good animal assistant. Let us know. Put in an application through our website. That's the animal news, but if you have a question about your pet's health, call and leave a message on our toll-free number, 866-993-8267, and I'll answer your questions on next month's Ask the Vet. And now it's time for some questions from our listeners. And we'll start with our first question
3: from my producer, Katie. Thanks, Dr. Hohenhaus. Okay, my question, I have a cat. She's roughly 16. I adopt her as an adult cat. So I'm not sure her specific age, but she's a little older. Um, she has never ate that much. She's never had an appetite until a couple months ago. She's definitely started eating more and really hasn't gained any weight. She's She might have gained a little, but she's a smaller cat. So she's nowhere near being overweight or anything, but she consistently eats more. So I was wondering like, if I need to do any tests or what that could be. So most older cat diseases cause cats to eat
1: less and lose weight, but there's one disease that's associated with eating more and not gaining weight, and that would be feline hyperthyroidism. So the cat's thyroid goes rogue and starts making lots of thyroid hormone, which bumps up the cat's metabolism. So the cat maybe is more active, uh, more friendly, grooms more. Eats more and doesn't gain weight because their metabolism is turned on. And so they burn up all that food. So I think that your kitty needs a trip to the veterinarian and they will test the thyroid to see if the elevate the levels in the blood are elevated. And they'll probably also do some other blood tests to make sure that the kidneys are working fine and that the blood sugar is normal and that the cat's not anemic or anything. But that'd be my top number one um, consideration in your kitty is that her thyroid has gotten out of control.
3: And (laughs) are thyroid issues easily managed by
1: medication? Ah, that was going to be my next thing. So there are, there are, Um, several ways to treat thyroid disease. What most people do is use a medication called methimazole, which suppresses thyroid hormone production. Uh, And that can be given orally or can be put in the cat's ear. Uh, You can surgically remove the thyroid. It's not done very often anymore. You can give uh, radioactive iodine and the thyroid will take up the radioactivity and that will kill off the thyroid cells. And then the cat has a normal thyroid after that. And the last thing is there's this really cool diet called YD, and it is an iodine deficient diet so that the thyroid requires iodine to function. You starve it for iodine and then the cat doesn't um, make too much thyroid hormone. It only works really well if you have one cat in the household because the other cats don't need to eat this diet. And you don't want the cat to eat anything but this special diet because there's a lot of iodine and other stuff. And if it eats other things, the diet won't work. So that's actually pretty cool that we have four different ways that a hyperthyroid cat can get treated. And that means that your veterinarian has options and can pick, help you pick the best one for your cat. Um, so we'll expect an
3: update on the uh, October show about the I kid. will I'll book her appointment now and keep you posted. Okay. All right. Good enough. Um, all right. Let's go to an email question from Ben in Washington. His question is, my dog is becoming overweight. What special diet do you recommend as part of a diet and exercise program for him? And how much exercise should they get every day? I have a seven year old lab.
1: So Labradors can gain weight on air. Uh, th- their ability to pack on the pounds is unbelievable. So if you have a chunky lab who's not getting much exercise, I would work that lab up to an hour a day. But you know, just like those of us who've been sitting around for 18 months during the pandemic, I can't get out and do as much as I used to be able to either. So be sure to work the pooch up to it. I don't know that there is one particular diet that is the best, but what really needs to happen is your veterinarian needs to make an assessment of how much the Labrador should weigh, not what he weighs today, but what the Labrador should weigh. And then you can calculate how many calories the Labrador needs to maintain that weight. And that's how many calories the Labrador should eat. So probably less calories than it's currently getting. And don't want to give too many snacks because dogs will put on pounds when you give snacks and snacks like bully sticks are stuffed with calories um some of those little tooth cleaning biscuits are stuffed with calories so be very mindful of the snacks that you give the dog now there are a lot of diet foods but diet foods don't have any set amount of calories per cup. So you have to be very careful and make sure that the diet food you're feeding does not have more calories than the food you're currently feeding. That's why you need your veterinarian to be involved in this process. And But the advantage to the diet foods is that those foods are specially made so that even though the dog is taking in fewer calories, it still gets all the vitamins and minerals and micronutrients that it needs in the food, even though it's consuming fewer calories. So that's the real advantage of a weight loss diet is they compensate to make sure there's enough of these other nutrients when they cut back on the calories. Uh, So I hope that helps the the Labrador owner in Washington uh, figure out what to do with his uh, chubby dog. And now we have a voicemail question, right? Um, It's from Beth in Illinois. Hi, this is Beth Sue, Illinois. I have a behavioral question. Um, I rescued a three-year-old uh, puppy, um, Poodle Mix. My question is, she is absolutely wonderful. The only issue I have when I walk her, she's going after those squirrels and pulling. I've tried different things, and it's, that part is really hard
2: for me. Uh, so I would like some helpful hints. Thank you.
1: So I have one, two, I guess, major helpful hints. One is when you see a squirrel, teach the poodle to sit and make her sit every single time. And if she sits, she gets a treat because then when she sees a squirrel, she's going to sit because she's going to realize she's going to get a treat and try and break the pulling habit. And then for a device that might help break that pulling habit, there is a head collar and leash harness setup called a HALTI, H-A-L-T-I. And the whole purpose of the HALTI setup is to stop dogs from pulling on the leash. And it gives you a way to control the dog's head so that they can't pull on the leash because you've got control of their head and then you make their bend their their head downwards with the head collar and then they have to stop moving and of course if you teach them to sit when you do that and give them a treat then that will that will facilitate breaking the squirrel chasing habit although the dogs are so cute when they chase those squirrels and they never hardly ever catch them so um you know, it, it's hard. It's fun to watch them run around, but it's really not safe for them. And it's probably not safe for the people who are getting yanked around um, on the leash. So good idea to um, to break this habit in the poodle. And that's all the questions that we have for today. And when we come back for the break, we'll hear the news from the used Dan. Animal Health Institute.
0: We're back with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus on Ask the Vet. Call now with your pet questions on Sirius XM Stars.
1: Founded in 1910 as a temporary clinic, the Animal Medical Center started out providing veterinary care to animals whose owners couldn't afford it. Today, the Animal Medical Center has 120 veterinarians working together in 20 different specialties and services, and we manage about 56,000 visits for our patients every year. That means 160 pets come through our doors every day. And the Animal Medical Center is not unique. Uh, According to Pet Business, the pet industry is booming. And in 2021, the American Pet Products Association pet owner survey found that the number of US households that own a pet has increased from 67 to 70%, equating to roughly 90.5 million households across the nation with pets. There are new dogs and cats everywhere. And I forgot to ask Dr. Zolo about that. Oh, well, another time. So the u Institute for Animal Health Education is a trustworthy source for pet families. The USN Institute presents monthly virtual pet health events and distributes a weekly newsletter with timely and relevant information. And we also have an online pet health library vetted by the experts at AMC. You can stream all the past health events at from the convenience of AMC's website. The most recent one, Dogs and Separation Anxiety, just in time in case you're heading back to the office. And um, recently, we did our very first book club with the New York Times bestseller, When Harry Met Minnie. Our upcoming Used Dan event includes the, an, the fourth annual Celebration of Life, which is a pet memorial event on September 23rd. And on October 14th, Does your dog have a red eye? What does it mean? And that will be presented by AMC's ophthalmologist, Dr. Sandra Vanderward. Registration is required for these events, but it's free. And so if you want to participate in our celebration of life or hear about red eyes in dogs and cats, just go to amcny.org backslash usedanevents. Today, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Anne-Marie Zolo, and thanks to all the listeners and callers and emailers and Katie for asking a question on today's show. So happy that everyone tuned in. And don't forget to tell your friends that this show is also a podcast. Ask the Vet can be downloaded on any podcast platform. If you have questions about your pet's health, call and leave a message to have me answer your questions on the October show. One last time, our toll-free number is 866-993-8267. Check us out on social media. On Facebook, it's The Animal Medical Center. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's AMCNY. I'll be back next month for the next Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. Thanks and have a great week, everybody.